Welcome to the Optimize Your Capacity podcast. Our goal is to help individuals as well as health and fitness professionals enhance their capacity and reach their untapped potential. We aim to have the listener leave with practical advice they can apply today. What's up, everybody? Back here for another podcast. We have Jesse Ellis on the podcast today, who is the physical therapist and the head of like the performance and wellness team for the Portland Trailblazers basketball team. Uh, we'll get into kind of what we're going to be talking about here in a little bit, but hopefully you've been listening to some of the podcasts lately. You've had some really good guests on. I feel like the content's just getting better, and I'm really appreciative of all the people we've been able to sit down and chit-chat with. If you ever have people you want me to interview or topics you want to discuss, DM me, send me an email, nickh at capacitypt.com. As always, really appreciate any reviews that you can leave on any platform just to continue to spread the word. You know, and my big goal with this is not to build such a big audience where I make this lucrative, but it's really just, again, to help educate as well as network with other professionals, as well as selfishly, I get to learn a lot as well. So I hope you dig it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, a lot more fun content to come. But today we're sitting down with Jesse Ellis. Um, I got to meet him from my time in Portland and through some continuing education stuff. Um, but his background is originally from North Dakota, but he's got a really cool pathway of realizing where his passion is, is in sports PT and his pathway to get there is interesting, which we talk about kind of going through the rigors and realizing where he wants to be and willing to make the sacrifices to make that happen. But we talk a lot about, uh, Bridging the gap is kind of the theme here. So how PT and strength and conditioning blend, what the differences are, how they should collaborate. We go over some case scenarios where we try to put it in practical light of where when we go over you know, the PT side of things, the strength and conditioning side of things, and where that bridge truly exists, meaning where it's almost both happening at the same time and what we should be doing in regards to promoting the collaboration and ultimately helping our clients to the best. We obviously do it with a little bit of a basketball emphasis, but you'll understand how Jesse's a smart guy, a practical guy, and how you could probably see him getting good, quick results with his athletes. Um, again, I hope you enjoy and stay tuned for more. All right, well, Jesse, thanks for making the time today to, to chat. Uh, I know you are in the NBA bubble and life's a little weird, but uh, again, I appreciate you taking the time and I'm excited to talk about, you know, somewhat popular topic in the health and rehab world of kind of bridging the gap and get your two cents on it. But before we get into the nuts and bolts, give a little background on who you are, kind of how you ended up where you're at and that whole spiel. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to know about the Orlando bubble at all? <laughs> well, we'll probably get into Let's, that indirectly. <laughs> okay. I'll just say it's it's not as bad as what everyone is saying. So Yeah. Wasn't there a really like uh, a picture that showed up of someone just eating like spam for dinner or something like that? <laughs> yeah. The food, the food is, you know, it's fine. It's free. Yeah. Yeah. You can't complain. But yeah. anyway, they've done a really good job. Yeah. Um, but I guess in my background, I'm a... a just a, a physical therapist that uh, I've been practicing for 10 years. Um, I started out in, well, I'm born and raised in North Dakota, but I went to school at University of North Dakota, uh, got my doctorate in 09, and then I wanted to work in sports. I didn't have a lot of opportunities up there, 
So I decided to move down to Phoenix where you have four major sports. You got golf, you got a lot of different opportunities. And uh, so I moved down there. Um, from there, I worked in private practice for about five years and pursued a postdoctorate fellowship through Evidence in Motion. Um, I got locked in with a really, really good PT. His name's Tim Farron, who's a good friend, but yeah, a, a very, very skilled clinician. And I kind of just hung around him for as long as I could. Um, and uh, I learned a lot from him. So I got some good education, uh, maybe not early on in my career, but in that middle middle zone. And then uh, I finally got an opportunity to work at Exos and became the director of PT there. And I uh, was there for a few years and then I've made my way up to Portland and have, has, have been the director of player health performance for the last uh, three seasons. And then did I say you did like PT in China or something? Yeah. So, you know, I guess my one advice is if you really want to work in sports, yeah, you should never limit yourself to opportunity or you know geographical barriers because yes. you're going to limit yourself. So when I couldn't get my foot in the door in Exos, they had an okay. opportunity in Shanghai, and I worked with their their Olympians for a little bit, and then I was on the tennis circuit for a couple of years. So I traveled the world with tennis players, not knowing a single thing about the sport. <laughs> so I mean. I've really gotten myself into a lot of things that would make people uncomfortable. I failed yeah. a lot. Uh, I've learned a lot. So it's been a good, it's been a good uh, career so far. Yeah. It sounds diverse and eclectic, which I think is important. Um, yep. So if you're, let's say you're not in the bubble, let's say it's whatever January, what's like your yeah. day like in the NBA season? You know, that's a common question that I get. Yeah. Cause yeah. everyone wants to know, like, what do you do? Like, how's your days? Yeah. Are you, are you married to the team? Do you have a life? Yeah. Um, like all those questions. And I think when you're in season, you can kind of break it up, break up your day into a few different, um, I guess, designations. You have a, a, a game day, you have a practice day, then you have an off day. And uh, that's basically, that's basically what's, the simple, simple way. Now, when you have, and oh, sorry, and then a travel day. So travel day is kind of a lost day when you're on the plane and yeah. you get in the hotel. But the uh, a normal game day, our coach likes to do shoot around. So a shoot around is going to be at about 10 o'clock. And you kind of get your reps and go through your strategies and talk to your coaches and get your treatment and get your, your weight room work. And then uh, you usually leave after probably around noon or 1230. Uh, and you get home. So from one to three, you got time to do whatever, have, you know, be with your family, do, a, do, a, uh, hopefully not additional work. But then from there, uh, you go from three 30 to game day. Like So you'll, you'll, you'll be yeah. done at like, you'll be done at like 10 or 11. Yeah. So then are your, or like the shoot around days, your busiest day? Yeah. 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 The game day is busy. It's a, it's a long drawn out day. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as like, long day and it's a long season like ours but yeah um yeah practice day you'll be out by probably 12 one o'clock okay and then how much time are you getting with an athlete as much time as they need or is there like you got 
six guys waiting for you? <laughs> as much as they'll give you. Yeah. Is the answer. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, the league is a, a player first league. The yeah. NBA is, uh, they do a really good job with that. Um, which makes our job a little harder. Yeah. Um, but it's fine. I think that's the better way to do it. It's just like a patient or anybody, a kid, if you give them autonomy and some decision-making, they're going to want to do it versus having been told that. So uh, for a rehab guy, we pretty much have control. We can just give them a schedule and, and they kind of know because if if they're rehab and they're not playing, uh, they don't have a lot to um, dictate what they can do on their schedule. Um, If there's health, healthy guys, uh-huh. You could get, you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. If they want more work, they'll come in early. Okay. Um, okay. We usually get our stuff done before practice. Um, and then you can also do a little bit of uh, post, post-practice post stretching or modalities. Yeah. But, yeah, it's usually heavy in the front of the day. So then, again, we're going to be talking about kind of bridging the gap between all these little professions. Who's on the, who's on the team? Like, you have a PT, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, every team is different. Yeah. There's uh there's some teams that their head guy is an ATC. There's some that are, you know, uh, a PhD of some human performance yeah. designation. You could also have, uh, you know, a physician kind of a high pyramid, uh, hierarchy, but for us, it's a, I'm the director and I'm a PT. Uh, right. we have two other PTs. One is kind of kind of a jack of all trades. His name's Logan Sullivan, and he came with me from Exos. But he's my sports scientist. He's my PT, and then he also can kind of bridge bridge the gap. I'm doing quotes right now, but he can kind of work <laughs> in that S and C yeah. field. Yeah. Um, and then Jessica Cohen, she's a assistant athletic trainer, but also PT. She was a former intern of mine. Um, Jeff Clark is our head athletic trainer. He's got 20 years of experience. He's oh, just wow. that kind of yeah. classic head ATC, ATC role. Yeah. Yeah. He, he knows everything and, uh, let's plans everything around, uh, what we need to do on a daily basis. And then we yeah. have Todd Forcier. He's a, he's a strength coach for us. That's been in the league for, man, it's been a while. I think it's, he's been with the team. I think, um, maybe eight, nine years. I don't remember. And then Ben Kenyon is the other strength coach. So we have two S and C's, okay. three PTs and one athletic trainer. And then we have a nutritionist and massage therapist. So then you are organizing that team or the head or whatever. Yeah. Yep. So then, so I, I'm yeah, kind of imagining all, all aspects of anything that's related to health or performance. Um, I, I answer to our GM. So if there's any questions about any of that, mm-hmm. um, and then I work closely with our coach on how we want to approach loading and how we want to approach uh, certain scheduling of practices and that kind of stuff. So I think for like, let's just say you're a PT, the common PT, you would think this doesn't relate to you, but I feel like it does. Cause you've got whatever you're referring doctors, maybe you have another clinic that you got to somehow communicate with. You obviously have the PTs on your own team. Maybe you have a strength coach who works at your clinic. So how do you guys, how do you communicate or collaborate? Do you have regular meetings? Do you, how do you stay efficient? Uh, That's a good question. It's, it's, it's tough because we're all humans and our season is really long. 
So one thing as a director for our team is I just don't want to make, I really want to make sure when our, our day is done, they can go home and have, have a life because it can get really grinding. And I'm just not somebody that really pushes excessive work when it doesn't have to happen. So uh, a lot of, I mean, for our team, it's a small team. Yeah. We only have six to seven people counting our contractors. So a lot of our communication is just easy communication, just one-on-one. Yeah. We may have one to two formal meetings where we can kind of break down what each guy is going through and we can uh, communicate that way. But we also designate each PT with a group of players so that they can really own the health of that group. Yeah. And then they bring that information to me. So there's some autonomy within our clinicians to make the good decision of what they need on a daily basis. Uh, so yeah, we, we really, it's kind of a low ego collaborative push. Um, I hire people that are fill my weaknesses. Yeah. So I'm more of a, more of a vision guy. I'm not a day to day guy. Yeah. So I like I've that. hired I've hired people around me that are, that really helped me out. And I think, again, just to relate that to the PT world, that's like the running PT at your clinic or the CrossFit PT at your clinic where there's niches. And ideally they're kind of handling those clients where the manager of the clinic, like yourself, isn't trying to see every single patient that walks in the door and things like that. Um, Yep. Do you guys have something that we, yeah, I I forgot to say, we also use, uh, an athlete management system where it's just everything is driven, anything data related, it all funnels into our system. And we also have some communication pieces where maybe we don't have time or we forget. We can just type little notes about a certain player. Like, Hey guy mentioned, he's got a cat, like a, he's got a blister occurring or guy changed his footwear. Now he's wearing Kobe's now. Like we all know this because something very small can actually be, you know, lead to uh, tendonitis or something that actually could, we could lose some games because of just a simple switch of a, of of a shoe or an orthotic, but we all need to know that type of information. So when you walk in, you almost like pull up this data file that updates you on people. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it. required. It's required every PT to fill out um, their players, so yeah. at least you can look at the day before and know exactly what's happening. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you guys do some sort of like activity monitoring as well, where if the player played ninety-five percent of the game last night, you know that, and you reduce their load the next day and things like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Ideally, NBA, NBA, yeah. you're you're averaging three and a half, four games. Uh, that's, that's what the, the yeah. breakdown of the season, yeah. they're playing three to four games a week. Uh, uh, if you're a starter, you're, you're going to be, your load is always an issue. Yeah. So uh, with those starters that play 25 to 35 minutes, it's really just management recovery, recovery, yeah. recovery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're tracking, um, all the data we get it from second spectrum, which every team has, Yeah. but it's a league driven data. You can look at accelerations, decelerations, how many times they jumped. Um, we look at variables of certain things that I can't go into, but yeah. that will dictate, okay, this number's high. Yeah. He needs this type of treatment. 
or he needs this type of activation or yeah. he needs to do some cold tub, but we've have us uh, a, a built out system where we make decisions on that. So curious, like if you had to start this whole process over with the Blazers day one in regards to like the teamwork and collaboration, was there something you would have done differently or like, what have you learned in the process to be more efficient? Um, I would say for the most part, I really like our model. Yeah. I like that. Uh, there are different teams that have a lot of different titles. And with that, there can become egos. And the, the thing that I found out in the league is there are a lot of egos from, yeah. <laughs> from players to upper management to even the directors of player health and performance. Like everyone's trying to vouch their opinions and their ideas. And you so, almost have to have that ego to get to where you're at, that confidence exactly. and that drive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. most strength coaches have strong egos, and that's why people listen to them. Exactly. And you you have to know that that's kind of a, a, a normal thing, and it actually leads to success. So for me, I feel like our hierarchy of just this kind of very uh, centralized model of me getting the information but having a lot of autonomy throughout my my group, it's really been a good good fit. Yeah, I like that. Um, all right, so let's pivot into a little bit more of like the the, the practical side of thing, particularly this bridge in the gap idea. So sure. before we get into some cases or some ideas on that, how would you how do you differentiate the two by SNC strength and conditioning and like the rehab PT? What's What's the difference between the two? Because there's a blend, there's carryover. <laughs> yeah. So when I think of rehab, I think it's like the functional stage that requires an intervention. Ooh, I like that. Okay. And it requires an intervention to return to a previous level of function. That is where you're going. Now, performance training is it's a functional stage where you're pushing to a new level. So a new level of function or you're high, you're highly motivated to make changes on your performance of whatever, whatever you're striving for. So I feel there's one that's trying to fill the gaps to get you to a point where you can start achieving higher level. Um, I would say that's the simplest way to do it. Um, Yeah. 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 So it's almost like rehabs restoring function where, performance is accelerating or improving function. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the, and the uh, figurative bridge that's in between Yes. of, of where, and, and the thing about the bridge is you can go either way, right? People can yeah. walk across from the one end or, or vice versa. So when you're looking at who should be owning this field, I can't say either, either party should. No. Uh, it really matters on the individual and how much they've learned and how much uh, mentoring and, and focus in their field, because I've seen, I've met a lot of really good strength coaches. And before we go into that, I've I have two strength coaches that they are strength coaches. That's what they do. Yeah. Like I'm not hiring a PT to fill a role (laughs) that I want a strength coach to have. I have some strong delineations because I respect, I respect both professions. Yes. 
Uh, I feel like you got a good perspective on this being in the clinic setting, being in the managerial yeah. clinic setting. And then right now, almost like watching all these different silos try to work together. What do you I learned think? a lot. I learned a lot yeah. of Exos. Exos yes. is a huge kind of that model, right? Point. Yep. Yeah. Um, where do you feel like the PT should ideally, I know there's gray area here and it depends, but where's that PT bridge start or where does it end being PT and become strength and conditioning? Is it once they're pain-free and they've got quote unquote efficient movement, they should be doing less PT and more of the strength and conditioning or how do you view that? Uh, for me, I feel like a PT should still be present if there's a impairment. Uh, so if there's, and it doesn't always have to be uh, pain. Yeah. I mean, if there's a movement impairment that you clinically feel is going to lead to a bigger problem, they still should be in the, involved in some manner. Um, it may not have to be on a day-to-day, like you could direct the strength coach to focus on certain things if it's not really a pain issue. But, um, you know, anything like that or any type of progression of having not been in their sport or that their activity for an extended period of time. And now you are the guide into the stages, even if they are back into doing what they're doing, you're still kind of a coach from a distance to give them parameters of you should be doing this amount of running or you should, you know, minimize this many jumps or or whatever sport you're in. Yeah. What do you think PTs need to do better at in facilitating that transition from rehab to strength and conditioning? I mean, the general idea, at least in 10 years ago, and I think maybe we're getting better, is that yeah. we get too too much into banded exercise and don't load people and don't actually push them. Uh, yeah. Is that kind of your train of thought, or where do you <laughs> think we need to get better um, at as a PT? So... I feel that some of the most I, I cringe when I see sport PTs when they are self-titled sport PTs <laughs> and they've not left their very close private practice. You know, they're very comfortable in their setting and they're having their athletes do a couple of cone hops yeah. and uh, some squat variation that they feel is sport. Um, that doesn't look good on our, no. on our, uh, on our profession. And I can see where people would kind of roll their eyes with that. So I think if you are a true PT that is in the sports industry, um, you're going to need to know regressions and progressions of, of high level movement. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you have to be an expert at just very odd looking exercises with a multiple different you know, environmental changes where you have a, a balance board and you're trying to turn their head and catch something like you should have the principles of S and C. Yeah. You should have uh, an understanding of a plyometric progression and um, even movement ter- terminology that you yeah. could sit down with an S and C and actually speak their language. It's also pretty important. And then um, loading principles, like not just the exercise, how many times you want to do the reps, how much weight, like all that needs to be locked in. Yeah. I often have PTs ask me like, Hey, I want to get more into the, the sports side of things. What do you recommend? One of the biggest things I say is intern or shadow at like a strength and conditioning facility, like get out of yeah. the PT clinic. Yeah. 
I, I recommend uh, most of my PTs to take the Exos Performance courses. Yeah, yeah I don't always great. say to I don't say to go and do the PT side. Yeah, I mean they should be comfortable in that realm. Yes. They should be going off to something that's not even on their radar, and they have to learn and and become kind of a novice. So, do you know if they've pivoted to do that stuff mostly online? Like, what are, do you know if they still have courses right now? I'm not I, sure. I'm not sure either. Uh, I'm not sure. So then if we go to the flip side, you've got your fitness professional, your strength coach, your personal trainer, whoever, when do you feel like they need to pump the brakes and maybe refer out or realize their limits? What are some scenarios? You know, in most cases, I think anybody that's trying to, you know, work with a strength coach and again, you're pushing the limits of your performance. You should, you know, heavily be advised to, have an orthopedic exam or a function like both like a orthopedic yeah. functional screen to make sure uh, everything is cleared on a biomechanical level on, on joint health, it, you know, everything even like uh, just medical history. So I think that's where a PT needs to step in. Um, and then also anytime that there's pain at, yeah. you know, certain pain is, you kind of deal with it, but if you can do a body adjustment or rotate your hip a little bit, and it feels better. Yeah. You don't need to go CPT, but, but if it's a moderate uh, level of pain or if there is a worsening case where somebody's symptoms are, are, are altering the way that they live their life. And it doesn't even have to say, it doesn't even have to be that their, uh, their pain is going up. Their function is continuing to regress yeah. because some people can hide that as, Oh, I don't have a lot of pain. Well, when was the last time you ran? Oh, I haven't ran in three months. Well, that's an issue. Though they may not say they have pain, their function is actually dropping quite a bit. So yeah, the easy ones are radicular pain or yeah, yeah, pain that's progressing. The the tricky ones are these gray area ones, like you're describing. I like that functional example. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in your setting, you you're close with the SNC, so yeah. they can pull you in and, and get some advice if, exactly. if you need it, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the model is, hey, they're training and they have issues. They just walk to the other side of the room and the PT's there. Um, yeah. And I think it, it works It works well. I mean, there's always limits, but I think one of the biggest things is like joint education as well. So like having joint in-services where you can just actually sit there and talk shop. Um, yeah the traditional PT just doesn't get that option as much. You're not going to go to 24 hour fitness and do it in service. Um, maybe you are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think a good way then to like start to visualize this collaboration is like do a little like case discussion and see where you think the PT should step in and where should the the trainer step in. So Uh let's, let's say we've got Jimmy. He's a 38 year old, Maybe power lifter works out, does your traditional squat, bench, deadlift. Uh, He's having some like hip impingement. He has like a a trainer or a coach who helps him with it. Um, He has a history of some back stuff going on as well. And let's say whatever, he's getting pinching in his hip with every squat or particularly if he breaks parallel. Where do you see the PT fitting in? Where do you feel like maybe the, the coach has its strengths in that scenario? Sure. So if he has a history of, you said radiculopathy? 
Sure, it's probably the case if you have some back and oh, stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like we we don't we can't tease it. So yeah. if you got if you have a you know a combined lumbopelvic slash slash hip uh, dysfunction, yeah. If if somebody wants to continue to improve their squat, uh, they should probably get an orthopedic uh, exam done yeah. first yeah. to see where the actual referral is. Is this an actual pain generated movement because of a, a, a pathological change into the hip? Is it the hip does not have enough range to a certain point to then you're loading the spine in a flex position with the squat. So you can kind of look to see, is it the hip or is it the back or is it, it could be a combination of both. So you're going to have to screen and, and do your job as a PT to kind of give answers to the person. Uh, and then I'd go, Hey, Jimmy, what, why, why do you want to squat lower? <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, there's patients that get on things where they get really inundated in the CrossFit world or, or, you know, whatever, whatever workout yeah. uh, group they want to join. But some of the things is, okay, what's, what's the importance? What's the value you gain if you drop your, your, your squat pass parallel? I mean, there's yes. research that shows that uh, both are effective. Yes. Um, so yeah, I would look at I would look at that, and then with a PT, you can kind of mix your strategy of of breaking down patterns. So you can look at the hip hinge. You can look at you know tease out that hip internal rotation. See if you if they can improve with a little bit of external rotation. But I mean, those type of nuances that's kind of the bridge because a good strength coach can do the same thing. He can break yeah. those patterns down and look to see if it's the spine or if it's the hip. So, yeah. So you must see the strength coach. I'm trying to phrase this. So trying to do a little bit of a breakout to figure out what's going on. So then they have some uh, common yeah. language to talk with the PT. Sure. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of strength coaches that have gone through the FMS and yeah. SFMA and have done all the breakouts. Yeah. Um, so they, they may understand on a general screening concept that they can make some adjustments and go from there. And, and most strength coaches know if you're challenging hip depth, uh, I'm yeah. sorry, squat depth, you're going to externally rotate the hips to see if there's a better, or yeah. you just take the heels out and maybe it's an ankle thing. Yeah. So exactly. you can kind of just mess around, but most, most strength coaches know what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's keep this going. I think this is good. It's good to visualize this. Yeah. So if we had another case, let's get basketball involved. We'll call it a yeah. senior in high school basketball player. You see him. He's coming in after an ankle sprain, maybe a day out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had two or three ankle sprains in the last year or two. He has some like jumper's knee, patellar tendinopathy on the same side. Maybe he has some back pain after doing heavy workouts or after, you know, like long practices, when you have this chronic ankle instability person come in, yeah. what the PT side of things, what are some pillars or things you really look at for ankle instability? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, where do you start there? Yeah. So I, I look at history. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at history with all our players. I think that gives us a lot of good information of what we can do for our preventative care. Uh, so we know that there's a higher likelihood that'll happen again. So then the tendency is, is this a contact related sprain? So are they landing on a foot or let's say this person, or, 
originally yeah. did have a contact, but now he just cut and it went. So it's getting loose. Okay. Yeah. So now we got non-contact. So yeah. now that's, that's something I look at my players. And, and if yeah. I was a PT for this guy, I would be a little bit more concerned. So I'm going to then start asking questions on what came first, did the patellar tendinopathy or did the ankle? I mean, the back seems to be maybe overuse. Yeah. So I would kind of keep that on my radar of maybe somebody that's, it could just be chronic. Like it's just a lot of load. It could be a load generated uh, pain. So yeah, yeah. anyway, we would go down past that. So I'm yeah. looking at the knee to ankle complex. So and for this, if, for this kid, he yeah. had Osgood Slaughter's, but you okay. kind of grew out of it. And then if he's doing heavy jump training, he starts to get anterior knee pain, but it's not like it bugs him all the time. Yeah. So like then for coming. me, I would look at, I would look at his ankle dorsiflexion yeah. uh, because a lot of times uh, you're going to lose some of that functional range. And there's, you know, some studies that show that one of the uh, higher chances for an, a second sprain would be the lack of dorsiflexion. So yeah. you're looking at it as kind of a long-term thing, but also as an immediate issue. If they can't load through your, your ankle, you're just going to go up to your knee. So it's loading the retropatellar region yep. or it's pissing off the uh, patellar tendon. Now, if the knee is flared up and it caused the ankle pain or caused the ankle sprain, then I'm looking at the knee, how it can accept torque in an eccentric manner. Yeah. So if they're, if they're avoiding a, a, a certain range of motion within their knee because it puts more load on the tendon, they may get sloppy with their movement and it progresses to an ankle sprain because they're not they're not strong up above so that so, would be a sequence that i would look at yeah if it's the ankle that came on first the sprain i'm looking right at the the range yeah. of motion yeah i'm really and not just that i'm looking at soleus i'm looking at the soleus strength um i'm looking at the endurance component of it um because that's a decelerator as it as is so if you if that you, if that becomes deconditioned from being in a boot, then I'm going to look at that strength. Do you have some foot ankle return to play or functional tests that you like to do? I know return to play is a buzzword, but do you do like uh, well, I don't know, star excursion or Y balance, or do you do a dorsiflexion yeah. to wall test, or what's like? What do you like to use for measurement on some of this stuff? Yeah, I'm a simple guy, but yeah. I, I've I've gotten a larger uh, checkbook since I, I made the league. So, <laughs> so the the tests that you mentioned are good, yeah. but we have we have other things that we use. Yeah, I uh, imagine. Yeah, but we look at weight bearing preferences yeah. uh, on the court. Uh, we look at the tendency because you can start to see that the player will start to favor on the other side. Yeah. Um, and then, but for a normal PT, I would say. I'm going to look at dorsiflexion, yeah. just your, your wall standard. Keep it, keep it very um, standardized as much as you can. So I would set up something in my gym that is very easy to continue to have. Lock that ankle in neutral. Make sure you don't get biased by the extra play of pronation. Um, so I would look at that. I would do some kind of uh, hop sequence, both uh, – I would like to look at the horizontal power. So I'd look to like to yeah. see the, the – distance but i would also want to see just the verticality power um yeah. and with that you're looking at more deceleration on the horizontal force you're looking at just more uh propulsion on the vertical component 
And sometimes you could even just um, exclude the knee and just do ankle pogos. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just really lock in on the Achilles, the calf function, see how that looks. Um, and you could do it on the shuttle, but then even drop them into some eccentric just to see not just the, the health of the Achilles, but also let's just see the functional range of the ankle. How far yeah. does it go into dorsiflexion before it starts to pronate? Because a lot of times when these guys come back from a grade two or a grade three, mm-hmm. their post-tib just gets angry yeah. because you're, you're finding that you're falling into that secondary movement. Uh, so you got to be aware of that. And then um, if you have a handheld dynamometer, it'd be, it'd be great to get a, a measure of your e- everters. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like those are more practical these days. Those aren't crazy expensive. No, no. And everyone should have one. <laughs> I agree. The, the only, the only good thing, the, the good thing of, of a handheld dynamometer is the setup. So I've had some yeah. really bad numbers that people were kind of putting their hat on and it was just not, uh, not structured or not standardized. Yeah. I've had people test knee strength and the person is pushing them up. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. That, yeah. that measures not how strong the athlete's quad yeah. is. That's how strong you are yeah. holding against the knee. Yeah. Yeah. So. so again, bridging the gap, what do you what do you recommend this PT doing on their final one or two visits to help with that transition of them going back yeah. to the local sports performance center that they train at and get back to practice and kind of the long term success? Well, the good thing about an ankle is, uh, I mean, you can get people to play earlier than other injuries because your tape becomes the, the, the ligament. Yeah. If, if that's what you choose. Um, so you probably can get these players on the court quicker. And, and for me, you know, you got to make decisions and get guys back on the court healthy, but also as quick as possible. So, um, the last two visits, I'm going to have to review a good movement prep. I'd have to go through a good, like, dynamic warm-up, some functional range of motion to kind of focus on all the things that you, you learned throughout your rehab. Yeah. Um, and then even just some balance ankle, uh, balance, balance work and isolated ankle work. And I feel like the isolated ankle strengthening kind of gets cut out after you've made a certain point. And that one should be actually the longest withstanding exercise. Yeah. It's constant. Yeah. They'll be doing the functional stuff. You got to give them like the supplemental things that are going to address the ankle itself. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So constantly, you know, you need to really express to them that you need to be continuing to do these banded resistant exercises for at least three months and get used to it. Yeah. Um, and then the, the one thing you don't want to do is write a bunch of exercises and then call the strength coach and say, this is what he needs to do. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to go over too well. No. I mean, that thing's going to get thrown in the garbage immediately when that kid, you know, brings it over there. Yeah. You probably should call the strength coach and treat him like a professional yeah. and say, or he or she and say, what, what do you like to do for gaining dorsiflexion? Yeah. And guess what? You're going to get the information. If you don't like it, you can just do a recommendation. Hey, that's, that's a good idea. This is what I like to do too. Maybe you can include both, but 
it needs to be a collaboration. They do not want to get a list of exercises that they have to go by. And yeah. neither would a PT want to know a bunch of exercises that a strength coach would send yeah. over. Yeah. You got to remember it's, it, it's a, uh, it's a two way team. So, yep. um, and then I guess the last thing is you got to communicate with the coaches on how to ramp up volume yeah. of their sport. And then just saying, just doing a little bit more each day doesn't cut it. No, <laughs> you gotta no. be specific. It needs to be, yeah. it needs to be objective. So a lot of times yeah. that's probably time because that's easiest. Yep. Yep. Um, I'd also probably make a phone call to the trainer. Um, if I feel like the ankle is good enough to play basketball, but still needs work, I would recommend to the trainer that the person should get retaped after 30 minutes. Uh, because the efficiency of that tape drops to about 20% after 30 minutes. Yes. Yeah. So you either stress that they should wear ankle braces, which should be the primary strategy. Yep. And if not that, they need to be retaped uh, every 30 minutes. So let's get into a little bit more like basketball specific stuff. Like what are... I don't necessarily want you just to list off common injuries, but like what are patterns you want to see people movement patterns you want to see people do to have confidence that they're not going to get injured. I realize they're always going to get injured, but okay. I want to at least yeah. be able to see that you can do X, Y, and Z. That shows me you have some movement capacity. Yeah. And that's a big question, but like what are maybe yeah. two, two or three go to things? Two or three. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you've, if you have a couple basketball, like if you have rookies come in, yeah, uh, I want to see their hip hinge, and a lot of them don't know how to hip hinge. Yeah, and that's a pretty important move for basketball because you're in a semi squat position for a lot of the game playing defense. Uh, for me, so do you have them just do a deadlift? Do you have them do like a wall butt tap hinge, um, or what do you do? Just yeah. like a quick little assessment. I mean, you can. You know, we, we have, uh, for our team, we just mm -hmm. have some basic movement patterns that they need to do without yeah. weight. Yeah. Um, and then kind of advance it with load. But if yeah. you really want to do it, I usually, I bring them in a tall kneel position yeah. and tap the wall and see what they can do just because you're trying to look at lumbopelvic versus hip movement yeah. and kind of taking out the knees. But net, first, 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 uh, I want to look at the whole system. If they look bad, then I just break it down to the two. Uh, so I look at that because for, for me, my, the thing that I've noticed is when guys lack hip internal rotation, it leads to back pain yeah. for basketball players. And if there's an asymmetry, like there is a notable cam or a, a notable, you know, closing down of that hip. I, I noticed that it happens a lot on the same side of that hip. So I look at the hip hinge because I want to look at how that hip can ex have, you know, excursion through that movement. And then the follow-up to the hip hinge is I want to see their lateral lunge because their lateral lunge adds the flexion moment and internal rotation. So if they can't do that motion, they're not, they're going to fall with their trunk into flexion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are awesome. So what do you see yeah. as being some of the most difficult things to manage with a basketball player? Is it repetitive load? Is it load management? Is it they're tall and lengthy and they never learn how to control their full body weight. And so you get them on the ground yeah. as much as you can or like, what are, 
your common roadblocks that you're always managing? Well, they're efficient movers because they're very tendinous in a lot of their movement. So if you get them in a weight room and have them do controlled movement, yep. they don't look very well. And yes. uh, so for me, the tendon health is so, so important. Yeah. And I also find that if something, they're not like a golfer where like a little nuance and it kind of switches everything up. Like I, they can kind of get in the weeds of the mechanics, but for yeah. basketball guys, if something's off a little bit, they will naturally find ways to continue to be successful in their sport, but things start to break down. So even like I had mentioned a change in orthotics where it doesn't seem to be a huge or a shoe change or, uh, you know, just simple things that can really change how that body adapts. Yeah. They are still very resilient. Um, I mean, I've looked at a lot of MRIs. I've seen a lot of knee pathology, a lot of, uh, you know, articular cartilage lesions. And you're looking at this player and saying, how is he able to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So they're very, they still are very resilient, yeah. uh, athletes. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, for me, the load is the most important thing because they like to hoop. They want to mm -hmm. be on the court all the time. And, uh, the tendency for them to avoid the weight room, it's improving in the league, but they're always have that tendency to go to the court. Yes. So you can never really truly get a good, uh, overload mechanism on a musculoskeletal or just on a muscle system because they aren't wanting to lift as, as, as heavy as you'd like yep. to make yeah. that change because they're chronically loading their body, but they're not making huge changes for that next level of improvement yeah yeah no oh, yeah well said um all right so let's start to start to wrap things up here i've been taking your time a bunch but i want to do yeah. like a quick fire thing just like i'm gonna ask you a question you tell me what you first think of or something you do a lot of um so what's a, a common modality or a modality you're into right now that you feel like actually makes changes or actually alleviates uh, symptoms i hate i hate modalities yeah. But do, are you uh, like, are you, do you use the, the GoPro? Are you a compression boot? Are you uh I mean, we use compression for yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, there is some research, you know, intermittent compression. Yeah. We, we mix and match between static and intermittent. Yeah. Uh, if I'm looking at like a tool assisted modality. Mm -hmm. Sure. I'm looking at, uh, uh, we don't, ha we don't have anything really in our facility. We do have shockwave. Yeah, uh, I find that that's been helpful because I think that the uh, it's kind of a mechanical it's it can yeah. produce some power. So I think it can kind of shut down some of the peripheral uh, pain sensors to the tendon. If you're knocking on that thing for a while, I think it does desensitize that sensitivity a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. What about your favorite rehab slash performance book, PT or strength book? Uh, that you yeah. I got a couple. Uh, so human locomotion. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. I've never read it, but I, I know the oh, book you're talking about. It's great. Who okay. is the guy? I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, you can look him up, but yeah, he's, yeah. he has a really good book. I read it from cover to cover. Okay. Uh, he's a, he's a chiropractor out in Boston. Okay. Um, I do like, I mean, the Exos, uh, the Exos book is pretty good for yep. PTs. Yeah, just gives you a nice breakdown of movement. Yeah. Um, 
high performance training for sports by yeah. uh, David Joyce. That's a lot. That's a good one. Conscious coach, uh, coaching by Brett Bartholomew is a good friend yeah. of mine. He's, he did a nice book on just the, uh, you know, psychology of an athlete and communication and getting better buy-in from that, that regard. What about like a course or probably even more so like a conference you think that's worthwhile? Be it, there's none of those going on these days, but whatever yeah. that comes back on. Uh, just in general or? Sure, just in general. Yeah, general. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I gotta, I gotta do some self promotion here. Yeah. The, uh, Phoenix <laughs> manual therapy, uh, courses. He, okay. The guy that I had mentioned before, my mentor, I, yeah. I went into business with him. So I'm a owner of the company. Oh, cool. We do some really good ones on clinical reasoning and, uh, I do the extremity courses, but there's lumbar pelvic and some clinical reasoning. So just some really good ones, especially for young PTs that want to have a good start. Um, say it again, Phoenix was, manual therapy. Yep. Yep. Phoenix manual therapy. Okay. Um, all right. I like awesome. the Tehan and Gibbons. Tehan and Gibbons yeah, did a really good three, I've taken that one. Yeah. three series course. They, they teach you how to manipulate the spine in an open position versus yeah. kind of locking it down. Yep. Um, you know, IPA is good. I learned yeah. some stuff from you, man. That yeah. was a good course. Yeah. That, uh, dynamic foot. Yep. Um, yeah. So I've yeah, done the PNF. Yeah. I've done the yeah, PNF course awesome. with, yeah. I mean, every PT should be doing some form of PNF. So I agree. Um, I, I got some value out of the IPA. Um, and then the Exos performance course is good for PTs that want to get the sport. What about favorite exercise or thing you're playing around with right now? I feel like for myself, I always have two or three that I just kind of like, yeah, for some reason right now is my time that I like this exercise or. <laughs> so I've taken on the, uh, I've taken on some isokinetics. Okay. So we, we bought a Humac norm, which is a great unit. And I'm yeah. still just wrapping my brain around isolated strength and torque angles and force production and strength curves. And yeah. I'm starting to feel that you should have a good principle around physics and how people are able to produce torque in angles because that can change the way that you look at performance. So a lot of people, you know, they throw their ice kinetics and say, that's not functional. Yeah. Well, I look at force production as functional and you need to be able to produce force through your quad or your agree. gastroc. So yeah. I've been, I've been doing that. That's a little expensive for, uh, <laughs> for people. Yeah. Um, but I do like to do, uh, so foot variations with a lot of my lifts. Okay. Um, yeah. So you got like your floating, your floating heel. So your yeah. soleus and everything has to work a little bit more yeah. or you can do it, uh, you know, on a decline. So now you have the forces more to your knee with your decline squats. Yeah. Um, but just kind of fiddling around with the foot. Um, I like to do a little bit different TK, TKE variations that I've been kind of mixing yeah. around. Yeah. And then decel lunges. I've been liking Ooh, this. Yeah, where, I like that. Where you you kind of exaggerate the step, so it's almost like a plyometric, but it's still a lunge. So you're holding weight, so you're 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 having to put more deceleration, so it matches more for for our athletes. Yeah. Uh, what about a favorite cue? By that I mean something that if you use these words or I maybe it's like an external cue of push the ground away or something where you feel like you always get a decent response uh, by it. 
I would just say, uh, go talk to Nick Winkleman. He'll give you some good <laughs> He's the, yeah, the master there. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I really like the, uh, the cue about the match for scap protraction from the, Oh yes. PNF. Yeah. Yeah. So putting that by the sternum and saying, I have a match and they know exactly to go into some serratus activation and protraction. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, yeah. Um, all right. Last question, which I ask everybody is we're talking about improving capacity here for basketball players and whatnot, but what are you doing for yourself this year? What are you trying to get better at or improve? It could be well, work wise or life wise, <laughs> anything. I had a baby, uh, four months ago. So that's number Big two. <laughs> yeah. So yep. trying to be a dad and, yep. uh, balance the one that we already have and figuring out, Hey, we have two sons now and yeah. we have to share time. Yeah. So that's, that's been interesting. Um, we, I've been trying to organize my life. Yeah. Like it's been, I, I, I've used uh timeler for my block like to kind of block work Okay. because I'm yeah. trying to maximize my time. And then when it's done, it's done. Yeah. So timeler is an app that really you can track all the stuff that you do in a day. So it's a, it's been a good one for me. Um, I've been trying to improve my note taking with all the stuff I read and I've been using notion for that. So that's been kind of a big project for me because I got to a point where I was reading a lot and I wasn't obtaining it or I wanted to make connections to understand it better. And I've been just trying to be better at note taking. Yeah. And I feel like at least for myself, just writing it on a piece of paper, I'll lose the piece of paper or I just won't yeah. come back to it. So yeah, I like that idea of digitizing yep. your thought process. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then just, I've been getting into native American stuff. I've been reading a lot huh. of that. I just, I don't know. It's just a philosophy and native American. I've been reading a book on the summer of what is it? Um, so I did the Lakota way and then yeah. a journey of crazy horse. Yeah. And then the Empire of the Summer Moon is the one I've been latched huh. on recently. And it's like the mindset and mentality that's drawn yeah, you in? Yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. One with nature, man. I, yeah. I guess three years in Portland caused me to switch my mind a little bit. <laughs> Should come out, come out to Bend. It's even more. Yeah, better. I know. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, appreciate it so much. If people want to follow you, maybe your courses or – yeah. Ways people can see what you're doing. Yeah. If, uh, if you want to follow me, I don't, I mean, you can track me on Facebook. I don't really yeah. check that. I yeah. predominantly on, uh, Instagram at physio Ellis. Okay. Um, E L I S. And then you can, you can add me on LinkedIn. Um, I don't do any Twitter and yeah. then, uh, for our courses, it's just phoenixmanualtherapy.com And there's a list of courses we had kind of, we had to stop it with the COVID, but we're yeah. trying to build that back up like every other Con Ed company. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, that's kind of where you can reach me. All right. Well, sweet. Thanks, Jesse. Have fun in the bubble. Thank you, man. Thanks <laughs> for your healthy time. healthy on the other side. Yeah, and I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Our goal is to help individuals like you learn practical knowledge you can apply today. If you want more information about how you can improve your capacity, visit our website at capacitypt.com. We have tons of info, including blogs, exercise videos, ebooks, and more. We're soon to offer services such as mentorship for clinicians and trainers, as well as online rehab and training. Stay tuned. 
If you like this episode, it would mean the world to us to leave a review. Again, our goal is to help and influence as many people as possible, and the best way to do that is through word of mouth. Leave us a review, tell your friends about it, shoot us an email with your feedback. We wish everybody the best. Expand your capacity.